General John Rawls, CSA Certified Southern American at his post. And we're set to begin another episode of Talk About the South. And this is how we do it. We do it through something we call the Y'all Show. Hello, it is Thursday. We've hit the double-digit mark in the month of June. Happy June 10th to everybody out there. And it is summertime, although I don't think officially yet. It's still technically spring, but we'll go ahead and say it's unofficially summertime in the South. And I know you're excited and you got big plans. A lot of you might be checking us out right now while laying at the beach. Hello, enjoy that surf and sun and sit back for the next three hours. We've got plenty of awesome Southern content coming your way. And if you're at work today, getting that big paycheck throughout the southeast thank you for taking the time to mix us in on your work schedule got a great show want you to be involved 803-816-1170 is the way to get in touch with y'all talk with a southern accent you can call or text that number at your leisure 803-816-1170 our email address if you want to hit us up that way the old-fashioned way i'm talking circa 2005 you can hit us up via the email maybe emails more late uh, 90s into the early 2000s believe it or not some people have totally gotten away from emails and now it's either text or some kind of like facebook messenger type communication i personally like getting a good email from time to time mail m-a-i-l mail at y'all.com is the way to do that and one of these days we're going to create something called a mailing address and you can actually take the time to mail us a letter i don't have that to forward to you right now but yeah we're, we're okay with you communicating with us here at the y'all show and just glad to connect with you let me set the table of what is on store and in store on this thursday y'all show we've got look a lot of headlines going on across the southeast history being made this week in the commonwealth of virginia i'll discuss that we always have goofy stories coming to us from throughout the southeast and including with that is why are there no cicadas in southern maryland maryland virginia even in some of the so-called midwestern states there's a big brood x cicada outbreak going on right now but there's some areas that they're just not that making that much noise and i don't know why well that's why we got this article i'll tell you why here on today's y'all show plus a woman in florida she swears that she saw what's called a small dinosaur running through her yard and we'll find out what's going on we also have outbreaks of people stealing expensive cars in the southeast somebody in miami stole a two hundred thousand dollar lamborghini and the man whose Lamborghini was stolen decided to go get on a scooter and chase after the the would-be car thief, or is the car thief. So I'll tell you about that. And then a guy who played in the NFL just retired, Thomas Davis of the Carolina Panthers, had his luxury car stolen from his garage in the Monroe, North Carolina area. And now he's calling the people that stole his car and other things idiots. I'll let you know about that here on today's Y'all Show. Plus, J-Lo posing with police officers in Miami Beach. Pretty good statement from J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez. We'll have information on all of that as we walk our way through the headlines of this Thursday Y'all Show. We'll also bring you up to speed on the sports world. 
A update from Oklahoma City with the Women's College Softball World Series taking place, and OU evens up the series. It's a Game 3 final game on this Thursday between the Sooners and the Florida State Seminoles. We'll have information on that, plus some other college news, big news, and positive news, believe it or not, for the Baylor football program as a ruling happened this week in terms of some of the drama that's happened for Baylor off the field. We'll share info on that, and we'll have an update on the NBA playoffs. One game played on Wednesday. We'll give you the results and tell you what's on tap in the association going forward. We have an SEC report coming your way this hour with all the latest maneuvers for both basketball and football. And how's that going to stack up for the Southeastern Conference, especially in basketball, with all of these players now being given the opportunity to transfer and have immediate eligibility? There's been a sea change of transfers. There's been a sea change of change in the SEC and throughout college sports, but specifically in the sport of college basketball. We'll talk about that as part of our SEC report here on today's Y'all Show. And we have another update on the Crimson Tide future football schedule. There is going to be a team on the schedule in about eight years from the ACC that will be on Alabama's football schedule. And it's a team that I can't remember the Tide playing, maybe ever, but at least recently. So we'll talk about that in our Southeastern Conference report in hour number one. We also have hashtag Hullabaloo coming your way this hour. When we get to hour number two of today's Y'all Show, a look at headlines from across the Southeast. Plus, on Wednesday, you had the CMT Awards in Nashville. We'll give the give you the rundown of the winners of that. And from that ceremony, I don't know if you had a chance to tune in and see the CMT Awards on Wednesday from Music City. They gave special recognition to the first black female to ever perform on the Grand Ole Opry. Linda Martell was who that was back in the late 60s, early 70s. Linda Martell grew up about seven miles from where I grew up. I never had heard of Linda Martell. And she's back living in that portion of the South. And about 20 years ago is when I first stumbled upon her name. And it wasn't from someone back in my home area. I was looking through the book of every song that's ever charted in country music. And I saw the town that I got my radio start listed there, Leesville, South Carolina. And I I looked at the paragraph about this woman being the first black woman to ever perform at the Grand Ole Opry. She had a song that got to around 20 on the chart, and I'd never heard of her. And so I went and bought, back in 2002, I think it was, I bought her album that was on Plantation Records. I bought it, and it had it shipped to me 20 years ago. It was LP. And I still have that thing. And I'm going to play you the highest charting song to start out our Nashville report here in the second hour of today's Y'all Show. You'll hear music from Linda Martell. I'll tell you more about her, and I'll let you know what the CMT did of the award show on Wednesday to honor Linda Martell. And she's still alive. She's still in her 80s. She lives in Lexington County, South Carolina, same place that I call home. And... What an interesting story. We'll tell you about that, plus some more Dolly Parton news to pass along in our country music news of today's Y'all Show. All that and more coming in Hour 2, plus an accent on Southern business. All that courtesy of Kobe Bennett. That'll be headed your way and more fun 
in the third hour of today's y'all show. So that is what's in tap on tap and stick around. It's going to be fun to share all this good stuff with you. Let's dive into what's going on here on this Thursday y'all show of which I hope all you again are doing absolutely awesome. And we'll just sit back and tell you the stuff of what's going on. And one thing I need to tell you about across the Southeast is you better get a raincoat or an umbrella, or you might just want to move on to somewhere else drier because a large portion of Dixie has heavy rains in the forecast if they haven't hit already. I know that this week already in portions of North Mississippi, flooding in areas where they have not had flooding before as rainfall hit Lafayette County and other areas of North Mississippi. And now the national weather forecast says the south will face heavy rain before a flood threat and and it moves east here this week. And I can tell you the forecast for Friday is pretty pretty wet across much of the Mid-South, stretching from Little Rock into North Louisiana, and it's going to be very heavy in areas like Tupelo, the Golden Triangle of Mississippi, Tuscaloosa area, down toward Montgomery, and then all of North Georgia is going to be very soggy on on Friday. Most of Middle Tennessee, West, in fact, all of Tennessee will have a very, very soggy Thursday into Friday. But East Tennessee may get hit more than any areas, as Chattanooga's right now is scheduled to get close to two inches of rain, and all the way up to the Tri-Cities, southwest Virginia also scheduled to have lots of rainfall. And, of course, when you have that kind of rainfall in mountainous areas, that can lead to mudslides and more. So be very careful, especially if you're passing through some of the mountainous areas of Tennessee, North Carolina, Virginia, and even into Kentucky. West Virginia is almost solid blue in the forecast. Solid blue means two inches of rain expected. Eastern North Carolina all the way to Greenville and Wilmington areas, those areas of North Carolina. It looks like the only area Thursday into Friday that's not going to have any big rainfall going on in the southeast will be two states, Texas and Florida. So if you've been putting off that trip to Florida, this could be a very good time to go because you're going to have flood threats all the way from the mid-Atlantic to the Appalachian area all the way to the Mississippi River, frankly, and look out for very, very dangerous conditions in some of these places. I'm not predicting tornadoes at this point, or that's not what the forecast says. Just lots of heavy rain. So keep that in mind if you've got to go out and cut the grass sometime between now and the weekend. You might want to be out there right now because it's going to be quite soggy for most of the southeast over these next 24 to 48 hours. U.S. deaths from heart disease and diabetes have climbed amid the coronavirus pandemic, as the United States seeing a remarkable increase in the deaths from these diseases, heart disease, diabetes, and other common killers. And experts now saying they believe the biggest reason for that might be that many people with dangerous symptoms made the big mistake of staying away from the hospital for fear of catching the coronavirus. Death rates posted online this week by federal health authorities add to the growing body of evidence that the number of lives lost directly or indirectly due to COVID-19 is far greater than the officially reported COVID-19 death toll of nearly 600,000 people who have officially died from the virus since it hit the country first in early 2020. 
And I know that a lot of people, especially those who had diabetes and heart disease, were very, very scared, and rightfully so, to go seek medical attention. Frankly, people were scared to get the virus, but they were also not wanting to go there to the hospital when other people with more critical needs needed to go in because perhaps they had the coronavirus. And yes, you have people staying away, and a lot of those people have ended up dying. The heart disease death rate, which had been falling over the long term, actually rose to 167 deaths per 100,000 population. And that was only the second time in 20 years the rate had gone upwards. The death rate from Alzheimer's up 8% during the pandemic. The death rate from Parkinson's up 11%. High blood pressure, 12%. And stroke deaths up to 4% more than in the past. So, yeah, it it had so many effects, even on your more traditional deaths or diseases that could lead to death. People staying away ended up causing them to die themselves, perhaps, across the nation and across the southeast. We have more information coming to us now from the Virginia Beach shooting, of which 12 people were fatally shot by a city engineer, and that happened in 2020. And now, information coming out. An investigation conducted by the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit found that the shooter, Dwayne Craddock, struggled with how he perceived his own work performance and how others at work viewed him. And according to the report, the influence of the shooter inflated sense of self-importance contributed to this conflict and led him to believe he was unjustly and repeatedly criticized and slighted and violence was viewed by the shooter as a way to reconcile this conflict and restore his perverted view of justice and this shooting again where 12 people were gunned down and it was just a a terrible mass shooting in virginia beach and now fbi putting out more information on this shooting as perceived grievances according to the fbi is what drove this mass shooter in virginia beach to act the way that he did now also news coming from the commonwealth bell is now on hold for a football player at the Virginia Tech football program who's now been suspended and essentially kicked off the team and kicked out of school because he's been charged with murder. And we have more information coming in on the arrest and the imprisonment of Ismian Itue, an 18-year-old football player, a native of Virginia Beach, as the Montgomery County, Virginia General District Court Judge Randall Duncan has set a secured bond of $75,000 for Itue, but he's going to remain in jail after prosecutors filed an expedited appeal. He's charged in the death of a 40-year-old man, Jerry Smith, who's set to be released to live with his family. And his release is on hold for up to five days. This That Itue was set to be released. And now details coming out about how this freshman linebacker for the Hokies charged now with second-degree murder, he fatally beat this man, this 40-year-old Jerry Smith, beat him after discovering that Mr. Smith, he met him on Tinder as someone named Angie, and it ended up Angie was actually 40-year-old Jerry Smith, and according to reports, this 18-year-old football player beat him, beat him so bad that he died, and now he's in jail and has a long road ahead of him.
if he ever wants to see freedom again. But that, of course, a common thing now with the social media apps and dating apps, people do what they call catfish, and they pretend to be somebody else on these things. And in this case, this football player, 18 years old, was not very happy, it appears, to find out that what he thought was Angie ended up being a man and a 40-year-old man and, according to the reports, killed him. I'm assuming out of anger. How about a stimulus update from the IRS? The Internal Revenue Service is going to be sending 2.3 million more stimulus payments. Who's getting these stimulus payments, you ask? Are you going to get rich off the government? They've already sent out thousands and thousands of dollars to you, more than likely. And it looks like there's another round of stimulus payments ready to go out in the past two weeks. The IRS has dispersed more than 2.3 million stimulus payments, officially known as economic impact payments. This latest stimulus, up to $1,400 for individuals and dependents and $2,800 for married couples, was approved in March under the American Rescue Place. In all, the IRS has sent more than 160 million payments with a total value of $395 billion. I assumed it probably would be more than that. Now, to qualify for a full stimulus payment, individuals must have an adjusted gross income of $75,000 or less. Qualifying AGI for couples is $150,000 or less. So more money coming. More money coming to your bank account or perhaps to your post office box. Yes, these payments, these particular payments end up valuing at more than $4.2 billion. There's going to be more than 900,000 payments. And also included are ongoing supplemental payments for people who earlier this year received payments based on their 2019 tax returns but are eligible for a new or larger payment based on their recently processed 2020 tax returns. And I was looking somewhere. If you have children, somewhere around $3,000 perhaps could be coming your way if you qualify. So the government in the business of putting out checks and big checks to a lot of people because of the virus that arrived in 2020 from the nation of China. The Keystone XL pipeline has been nixed after President Joe Biden and his administration have stood firm and said that they're not going to give a permit to continue work on this crude oil pipeline that stretches from Canada into the United States. And now the sponsor, Calgary-based TC Energy, said it would work with government agencies to ensure a safe termination and exit from the partially built line, and that line was to transport crude oil from sandfields of western Canada into Nebraska. And this was going to be a 1,200-mile pipeline. And it began in 2020 when former President Trump revived the long-delayed project after it had stalled under the Obama administration. If this would have worked, it would have moved up to 830,000 barrels of crude oil daily from Canada to Nebraska. And the day that he took office, Joe Biden canceled the XL Pipeline's border crossing permit. And it's going to be, it's no longer. Jobs lost. 
environmentalists might be cheering this on, but it was going to be buried under the ground, not going to have rail cars transporting oil, potentially spewing out all over the place. And that's what you get when there's a regime change, and that's what we have in Washington, D.C., and no Keystone XL pipeline. It's, it's done. It is absolutely done. The power of the presidency has caused this pipeline to end. Now, President Biden has a chance to do something else to show off his power, a bill to make the Pulse Memorial a nationally recognized memorial in Orlando is going to ultimately go before the president's desk, it appears, because on Wednesday, the United States Senate passed a measure to make this designation to make Pulse Memorial a nationally recognized memorial. This, of course, from 2016 in Orlando, the nightclub that had many gay people there. It's a gay nightclub. And 49 people were killed in June of 2016 at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. And now the National Pulse Memorial will be a national site. It's not going to be part of the national park system. In fact, no federal funds will be used for this memorial in central Florida. But 49 people killed for no reason when this gunman stormed into this thing, I think on a Saturday night into the wee hours of a Sunday morning when we had a string of awful tragedies of mass gunmen. And I know we've had occasional ones pop up since 2016, but it seemed it seemed at the time that these were growing and growing and growing. Thankfully, we haven't had anything quite that bad in a while that I'm aware of. And we don't ever want to become numb to any kind of mass shooting. And and so that, I guess, to my knowledge, I'm not aware of anything. We've had a, a few, certainly, outbreaks of violence. But that could be a national memorial at Pulse Memorial in Orlando. A state bar in Texas is investigating the state's own attorney general as the Bar Association of Texas is trying to find out if the attorney general, Ken Paxton, and his failed effort to overturn the 2020 presidential election should cost him his law license as the election and the claims afterward that there were bogus claims of fraud amounted to professional misconduct according to this investigation conducted by the Texas Bar Association, the state bar. Initially, they have declined to take up the Democratic Party activist complaint that Paxton's petitioning of the U.S. Supreme Court to block the Biden victory of November 2020. And now this has gone on to where there's a movement to think that what he did there, the attorney general, was both frivolous and unethical, and it could cost him his law license. The guy that's the attorney general in the state of Texas. More to come on that, as you'll likely have a appeal from one of the two sides, whoever comes out on the short end of this. Now, Attorney General Paxson has less than a month to reply to the claim that the lawsuit to overturn the results in Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin was misleading and brought in bad faith. More to come from Austin, again, as the Attorney General of the state of Texas is being investigated by his own state bar of Texas over the 2020, what some people call the big lie. 
And Trump even calls it the big lie. I think that's what they, the, the nickname they call it these days. Okay, speaking of a little political news here on the Y'all Show, there's going to be history made in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And that is because, due to the primary that was held this week on both the Republican and Democratic sides, you will have a black woman be the next lieutenant governor of the state of Virginia. In fact, right now you've got a, a black male who's the lieutenant governor, a guy who's been able to hold on to his office despite lots of controversy. But after this week's primary, there will be two women of color on the ballot when people go to vote in Virginia later this year. The Democratic nominee is a delegate from Virginia, Hala Ayala, and the Republican nominee is Winsome Sears. And these two going up against each other when their respective candidates appear on the ballot for governor, and we'll find out who gets to be the next lieutenant governor of the state of Virginia. Now, the winner also will be only the second woman elected to a statewide office in Virginia. The first woman elected in Virginia was Mary Sue Terry, elected Attorney General of the Commonwealth, serving from 1985 to 1989, re-elected in 89. And Virginia has also elected two people of color to be in statewide office. The current lieutenant governor that I mentioned is Justin Fairfax, and, of course, Virginia might have been the first state in the country to elect a black man as governor. Doug Wilder was a governor of Virginia some 20 years ago. And so now this week you've got women of color on both the Democratic and Republican side who are up for election when Virginians go to choose their next governor and lieutenant governor later this year. And one last story to tell you about before we take a break from the news headlines on today's Y'all Show. An update from Asheville, North Carolina. The city in western North Carolina has now committed $2.1 million for reparations. The Asheville City Council approved a budget amendment this week to pull the money from city land purchased in the 1970s as part of a urban renewal program that took apart black communities. The city council adopted a proclamation declaring June 19th as Juneteenth, the date which marks the end of slavery in the United States. That's not actually true. That's the day that slaves in Galveston, Texas, or somewhere around June 19th, found out that the Civil War was over, and essentially slavery was over, but it wasn't officially over until the passage of, what, the 14th Amendment? But now the city of North Carolina, the city, lovely Asheville, was one of the first cities, if not the first city, to pass back in 2020 a resolution that apologized for Asheville's role in slavery, discrimination, and a denial of liberties of black residents. And they passed a reparations measure in July of 2020. And now they've got a number affixed to the reparations, $2.1 million. And... That ends up being the city council voted to begin making good on its plan to distribute $10 million over the next year with the distribution of $400,000 to eligible black households. So if you're, okay, well, well, I'm getting this confused with another city that's passed this. That's Evanston, 
all you folks of color might just end up moving to Asheville, North Carolina between now and when the checks start going out. Evanston, Illinois, has the city council there has voted to make good on its pledge to distribute $10 million over 10 years, and that's going to be around $400,000 to a black household, eligible black households in that city. And I don't have a number of how many residents are in Asheville, but it's enough to to make you notice it, I think, whatever the amount is. Also, North Carolina, Durham, I didn't realize this, Durham, the city council of Durham, North Carolina, passing a resolution in October calling for a federal program of reparations. And that's getting more and more steam. You're likely going to see a vote come before Congress pretty soon on whether the United States... Well, why not? They're giving out all this other money for coronavirus. There's a real chance that reparations are going to be paid at some point. The problem with reparations is, is, is it really going to be fair, even for people who are going to get it? Is it going to be that fair if you're like one one-hundredth black? Do you deserve reparations? If you're 50% black like Kamala Harris is, not and she's not even 50% because her father has white ancestors as far as I know. In fact, one of her ancestors owned a plantation in Jamaica. Is it fair that Kamala Harris, who had zero, I mean zero, American slave ancestors because her mother's from India and her father was from Jamaica, is it fair that she might get reparations? Meanwhile, your ancestors from Tennessee or Georgia or Anywhere in the South, we're literally out doing horrible work as slaves in the 19th century. And and Kamala Harris and Barack Obama, too, has zero American slave ancestors. In fact, he's got American slave owners in his family tree, as his mother has family that traces back to Kentucky where they were slave owners. And is that fair that these people might get money in your family? were true slaves here in this country. That's why you get into the confusion of this stuff, and it just it just needs to not happen because it's truly no way to make it fair for anybody. And plus, it was people like to say for people who want to restore and preserve Civil War-related memorials and monuments, oh, that's in the past. Oh, you get it, forget about it. That was 160 years ago. It doesn't matter. Well, all of a sudden, reparations for an ancestor you never personally knew matters in 2021. Something to think about here on the Y'all Show. We're going to have more headlines as we work our way through today's Y'all Show. When we come back, we've got an update on the NBA playoffs and some softball news from Oklahoma City. This is Talk with a Southern Accent. We'll be right back, y'all.
Pretty talented Texan right there, Casey Musgraves. We've got some country music news coming to you in today's second hour, including the CMT Awards from Wednesday night. A full recap of that. We'll keep it in Texas for our first sports report here on our Southern Sports Showcase on this Thursday Y'all Show. A jury in Houston took just a few hours on Wednesday to deliberate and they ultimately ruled that Baylor University and three former football players were not responsible for the alleged sexual assault of a former female student athlete in 2017. Now, this trial started back on May 20th and in some ways was a test of whether Baylor had changed its way since a pattern of mishandled sexual assaults, notably those among football players, led to the firing of head football coach Art Bryles and the eventual departures of President Ken Starr and athletic director Ian McCall back in 2016. A former equestrian athlete at Baylor filed a lawsuit in March 2019, and this lawsuit reported having been, this student reported having been assaulted at her residence hall in November of 2017, more than a year after the school had pledged to revamp how it works to prevent and respond to reports of sexual assault. The lawsuit, which was filed in district court in Harris County, Texas, claimed that the University Parks Residence Hall that housed athletes, which included football players, was a, quote, hot spot for sexual assault. And this allowed or alleged that Baylor was negligent and guilty of fraud because it put students, specifically the young woman who claimed to be assaulted here at risk by housing them there with not warning them of the potential for being assaulted. But Baylor, which has been perhaps more than any university out there, guilty and certainly accused of sexual assaults and more and more criminal violations. And going back to around 20 years ago when a basketball player for Baylor killed a another basketball player a teammate it's been drama on the waco at the waco campus on the banks of the brazos and this could be some positive news for once in fact baylor already has had some positive news with a national championship for its men's college basketball team not trying to take away from sexual assault at all but this result from wednesday a jury finding baylor not responsible for alleged sexual assault by ex-football players could be the first step in many positive things that could happen for the university as it tries to get past many years of terrible stories and certainly terrible accusations from the Big 12 program. Also out of the Big 12, positive news from the Oklahoma Sooners as Oklahoma's women's softball team set a Division I single-season home run record when they were able to force in Game 2 a Game 3 for today. And that's because they won. There in Oklahoma City, you've got the Women's College World Series of softball and Oklahoma. 
got a home run in the sixth inning, and OU beat Florida State 6-2. to two. And that was this one player for OU, Jocelyn Allo, her 33rd home run of this 2021 season. And she is the softball, USA Softball Collegiate Player of the Year. 33 dingers in one year. And now, today, the national championship, the deciding game three, will be held this afternoon as Oklahoma is trying to get its fifth national championship, FSU trying to get its second title in just four years. A big win as OU evens things up, the deciding game taking place today in Oklahoma City. To the National Basketball Association, you had only one game in the playoffs that took place on Wednesday, and the Phoenix Suns continue to impress. How about Chris Paul? He may not have had 50 points. He had more like 17. But the Phoenix Suns, with Paul, the Wake Forest sharpshooter, in tow, CP3, and the Suns, with a 123-98 thrashing of the Denver Nuggets. And Phoenix now takes a 2-0 series lead in this Western Conference semifinals. Fantastic job there in the Valley for the Phoenix Suns. What is on tap for this June 10th day in the NBA? The Nets and Bucks resume their series, this time from Fiserv Forum in Milwaukee. The Nets with a 2-0 series lead. They could really take control of this series with a win in Milwaukee against the Antlers. And then the L.A. Clippers and the Jazz resume their series in Salt Lake City. Currently the Jazz with a 1-0 series lead. These games both televised on ESPN. Nets and Bucks tipping off at 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central. And then the Clippers and Jazz from SLC tipping off around 10 Eastern, 9 Central on ESPN if you want to catch out and check in on NBA action here this week. We will be right back. We'll continue the sports talk. A little SEC report coming your way. A little basketball and SEC football news to pass along. And an update on Alabama's future football schedule. This is the Y'all Show. Hang on. We'll be right back. Welcome back, y'all. It is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent here on this Thursday Y'all Show. Got a little SEC information coming your way. It is our SEC report on this, the show that covers everything Southern. What's going on with the Harry Dogs? I'll tell you. This is the Y'all Show. Our number is 803-816-1170. Encourage you to check in with us at your leisure as we have Plenty of good stuff coming your way each and every day about the Southeast. And here we have in this segment the 
news and information coming out about the Southeastern Conference. And here, as we start off our SEC report, let me tell you about college basketball. Georgia looks to improve what they've done on the hard court here in the last few years. Georgia basketball has been a team that's gone to the Final Four. They're won SEC championships. They're not Kentucky. I admit that. They're not even Tennessee at this point. But Kentucky and and Tennessee better keep their eye on Georgia. Remember, Georgia had one of the best basketball players in the nation commit to the program a few years ago, and I think he's now suiting up in the NBA. I I think I haven't uh, necessarily totally kept up with all of the maneuvers of NBA players these days. But what's up with the Georgia Bulldog basketball program and the rest of the SEC? Well, because of the changes with transfers and stuff, it's kind of been wild and crazy. It's been the Wild West, frankly, on the hard court for basketball. And so when we look at Georgia, where basketball players can come and go without having to sit out at all, Georgia has already seen Andrew Garcia, who averaged nearly nine points a game, lead the program. You also have KD Johnson exiting and Severe Wheeler. Those two guys combined with nearly 28 points per game. Now, Georgia is expected to have Tyron McMillan back, as well as Jackson Etter. They've got some help coming in. One transfer in from UIC is Braylon Bridges, a transfer from Southern Cal, Noah Bauman, also Athens-bound. Then they've got some very good talent coming in from the high school ranks. Tyrone Baker, a three-star recruit, comes in to Stegman to suit up for the Georgia Bulldog basketball program. And I failed to mention, this guy didn't necessarily put out a lot of points, but he's part of a very good Gonzaga basketball program. Aaron Cook transfers into Georgia for the Dogs. That's just one of our SEC programs basketball-wise with lots of comings and goings. Auburn. Auburn's had Sharif Cooper exit that program. And you also have Javon Franklin leaving Auburn. But who's coming in? To help out Bruce Pearl, how about the number five recruit in the whole country, Jabari Smith, an Auburn Tiger? Auburn's getting a guy from Georgia, K.D. Johnson, who averaged nearly 14 points at UGA. Transfers from one Deep South's oldest rivalry member to the other. Auburn's even got a transfer in from North Carolina, Walker Kessler, who averaged over four points a game for the Hills. A transfer from the College of Charleston, Zepp Jasper. And another another transfer from EKU, Wendell Green Jr. Bruce Pearl's getting the transfer thing down, it appears. How about Alabama? Alabama was the SEC regular season champs. And Alabama basketball, despite losing people like John Petty Jr. And they won't have the services of Jordan Bruner in the forthcoming season, they do get newcomers. The number 13 player in the land, J.D. Davison, will be suiting up in the Crimson and Cream or Crimson and White at UA. The number 33 recruit in the land, Charles Badaco. Then they have transfers heading to Tuscaloosa and Coleman Coliseum. Noah Gurley with nearly 16 points a game for the Furman Paladins in Greenville, South Carolina. He's now going to be an Alabama Crimson Tide sharpshooter. 
and the tide also with Namari Burnett of Texas Tech transferring in. And we, since we mentioned them earlier, what about that team that's supposed to be the best team in the SEC, Kentucky? Kentucky loses Brandon Boston Jr., who had nearly 12 points a game, and also Olivier Saar. Kentucky's newcomers include the number 12 recruit in the country, Ty Ty Washington, and some guys transferring in from other programs. How about Savar Wheeler, also a transfer from Georgia into UK? Kellen Grady had 17 points per game at Davidson as he helped the Wildcats north of Charlotte to basketball success. Now he's taking his talents to Lexington. And a WVU player, Oscar Shive, he's transferring to UK. Even a player from a program that had a very good 2021 season, C.J. Frederick, a former Iowa Hawkeye, will be a Kentucky Wildcat going forward. And lastly, as we kind of scan the SEC and tell you who all's coming and going, how about the Aggies? Aggies with Buzz there in control in College Station. Sure, they've had players like Emmanuel Miller move on from the program. But who are they getting back? Well, they're getting back Quentin Jackson, who had over 10 points per game. And the Aggies also have returning Andre Gordon with 8.3 points per game. And newcomers galore into this program with a four-star recruit, Wade Taylor, suiting up in maroon and white. Also, you've got great transfers in. Marcus Williams, who was a Wyoming Cowboy with a 15 points per game scoring average. He is going to be in Aggie land. Also a UConn transfer, Javante Brown, and a Duke transfer, Henry Coleman III, all with the Texas Aggies as 2021-2022 basketball season is not all that far away. Also from the SEC, as we continue our look at SEC news here on today's Y'all Show, Alabama has scheduled a home-and-home series With Boston College, you're going to have to wait around. It's going to be the year 2031, the first time the Eagles and Tide get together as the Crimson Tide go into Boston, and they'll play in Chestnut Hill September 13th of 2031, and then BC comes south where they'll play at Bryant-Denny Stadium September 16th of 2034. This is the third opponent this week that Alabama has announced for future scheduling. As they announced earlier, they're going to play Oklahoma State in 2028 and 2029. They've pushed back to somewhere around 2030, a series against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And now, B.C. on the schedule. The Eagles are 3-1 and all-time against the Crimson Tide. It looks like their first meeting. Okay, this is their first meeting in 2031. Do you remember the last time Boston College and Alabama got together? It was... Boston College and Alabama together on September 8, 1984, and Boston College won that game 38-31. to The good old Big East Boston College Eagles of that era, and that would have been Doug Flutie's – I can't remember if he was still on the team in 84 or was it 83 he won the Heisman. But somewhere in that time period, we'll just go ahead and say BC must have won – that was the year they had the miracle in Miami with the Doug Flutie pass. 
84. That was not a national championship year. Do you know who won the national championship in football in 1984? I do. It was a school kind of like Boston College that had a religious connection. It was a private school that was a church-type school. It was the BYU Cougars won the 1984 National Championship. SEC teams in the Super Regionals of College Baseball as we get that underway on Friday. The Fayetteville Regional features the number one overall seed, the Razorbacks against NC State. That first pitch Friday at 6 Eastern on ESPNU. The Nashville Super Regional features Vanderbilt and number 13 overall seed, East Carolina. That also is a Friday first pitch. It's going to start early, 12 noon Eastern, 11 Central, along Music Row on ESPN2 is where you'll be able to see Tim Corbin's Vandy Boys in action. The Tucson, Arizona Regional begins late on Friday. It is a 9 Eastern, 8 Central first pitch on ESPNU between the number five overall seed Arizona Wildcats and the Mississippi Land Sharks of the SEC. The SEC also has the Mississippi State Regional in Starkville where MSU and Notre Dame get together. Their first game is Saturday, 2 Eastern, 1 Central on ESPN. And then also Saturday in the evening hours, it's SEC versus SEC as Tennessee and LSU will have their game one from Knoxville's Lindsey Nelson Field. ESPN2 is where you can tune in and see the Big Orange and the Bayou Bengals on Saturday evening. So all together, you've got six SEC teams making their way to the college baseball Super Regionals. A job well done. Six of 16 teams from the Southeastern Conference. And that will conclude our SEC report here on today's Y'all Show. Stay where you are when we come back. We're going to switch over on Y'all and give you a quick hashtag hullabaloo. What's going on on social media? We'll tell you all about it. How about them dogs, y'all? We'll be right back. You can find the Y'all Show and Y'all.com on Facebook. Just go check out the Facebook page, Y'all.com, and follow us, like us, subscribe to us, whatever the option there for you to kind of keep up with all things Southern. And as we wrap up this first hour of the Y'all Show, we go to social media to find a tweet coming in from at Florida Fun and Sun on this hashtag Huddle Blue report for this Thursday. Florida Fun and Sun is the official Twitter account of Florida USA. And it is a site that talks all about Florida, the paradise of the United States of America. And I don't know if this is the best thing to be putting out there from the Twitter account at Florida Fun and Sun, but they have a unique photo. Amazing what you can do in Photoshop these days. A photo of a close-up photo of the Southern Mosquito. And there at Florida USA, their close-up photo, and I've kind of zoomed in quickly on here. It looks like half of it is a mosquito And according to their description here, another unique sighting of Florida's bugs. And you know what? This particular mosquito, that looks like a, and this is a Photoshop deal, so don't take me too serious here on the Y'all Show. The photo there coming out from Florida USA, the head of this mosquito is the head of an alligator. So if Florida does have little tiny mosquitoes that have alligator type heads and they chomp down on you, 
that's pretty bad. And I don't hope that I hope that's not what really is going on out there. But they have a, a fun little photo of a close-up photo of the southern mosquito, and at least in Florida, the head of these southern mosquitoes look just like an alligator's head. Photoshop, Photoshop, Photoshop. Somebody with a sense of humor there from Florida, USA. That wraps up our first hour of Talk with a Southern Accent. Hang on, we've got another thrilling hour, lots of entertainment news, and the latest from Nashville, Tennessee. We'll even play music from the very first black woman to ever play on the Grand Ole Opry. That's all ahead on The Y'all Show. The second hour of a three-hour joyride is here. I'm John Rawl, the general of all things Southern, and this is y'all. So wonderful to have you listening in on wonderful radio stations across the Southland on this Thursday y'all show. And don't forget, you can catch the y'all show if you miss any portion on one of those great radio stations booming out across Dixie. You can always go to the podcast options of this show those podcast options are apple podcasts go there the purple icon there if you have a smartphone with an apple product or an ipad look for the apple podcast purple icon and go in there and search for y'all show and we're right there awaiting your free download we're also available in the stitcher app the iHeartRadio app the tune in app all have the y'all show and i routinely go on there each of those apps each day to make sure they're downloading properly. And I'll tell you, within minutes of our show wrapping up each day, they're all right there waiting your download. Pretty neat how this stuff works in today's world. And don't forget, we're also on y'all.com. Y'all is the South's homepage. And right there on y'all.com, we have a special red and white tab. Pretty noticeable if you aren't colorblind. And you'll see... The Y'all Show, you can click there and listen to our show. You can watch many of the interviews that we do all right there at y'all.com. Again, wonderful to have you aboard. Here is what's on tap here in hour number two of today's Y'all Show. We've got more headlines coming in from across the southeast. We've got entertainment headlines headed your way, including if we can work it out, if his people and our people can come together we're going to not only tell you about some David Hasselhoff information, you're going to hear from a guy with a Southern connection, David Hasselhoff, the guy that most guys want to be one day when they grow up, David Hasselhoff. And you're going to hear Hasselhoff, his voice right here on today's Y'all Show as part of our entertainment report. <laughs> you're also going to hear the lovely voice of Linda Martell. If you don't know who Linda Martell is, she, back in the late 60s and early 70s, was a country music singer on Plantation Records. That was a label Shelby Singleton had. And she was the first black female to ever perform on the Grand Ole Opry, and she actually performed there several times. She is a native of Leesville, South Carolina. That is the same town that this fellow right here got his broadcasting start in at WBLR 
1430 on your AM radio dial. I had never heard of Linda Martell until 20 years ago, and I discovered her name in a book I was flipping through, and I tried to find her. I couldn't. I've never actually spoken to her. She's now in her 80s. She's living in South Carolina, and we're going to play a portion of her first song that hit the top 30 of country music's charts. It's called Color Him Father from 1969. Linda Martell, and I'm telling you about Miss Martell here on today's Y'all Show. She was actually a feature of Wednesday night CMT Awards on country music television, a.k.a. CMT, also a former employer of mine. I went from the bright lights and big city of Leesville, South Carolina, and WBLR to the small town Nashville and worked at country music television, CMT, back in the 1990s and now i'm here with you and i i I like this gig right here and i enjoy it but enough about me we're going to let you know about linda martell we'll play that song color him father and also give you the latest information coming from nashville and entertainment and that's part of our entertainment report here on the second hour of the y'all show we also have coming your way in this hour kobe bennett drops by with a southern accent on southern business all that right here 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with us here at the program that is truly the south's program and let's get back into the headlines Uh, if you are a southerner and you are scared of rain let me tell you two places you might want to travel to pretty soon texas and florida because those look like the only states here in the next 24 to 48 hours that won't get loaded up with lots of rain and flooding. Heavy rain expected across most of the southeast between now and Saturday. Heavy rain expected in most of North Mississippi, most of the state of Alabama, a lot of Tennessee. Rain pretty common from Memphis all the way to Tri-Cities, especially heavy in East Tennessee, Chattanooga, all the way up to Cookville, and then over to the Tri-Cities, Johnson City, Very, very heavy rain in that area. That's in Tennessee. Kentucky, the eastern portion of the state, likely to have heavy rains. There's going to be lots of weather-related problems in the Appalachian Mountains, specifically the Blue Ridge area of the Carolinas and Virginias of the next 24 to 48 hours. Heavy rain also in coastal North Carolina, stretching up to Washington, D.C., so Take a raincoat, keep an eye. There's already been this week rather eventful flooding in portions of North Mississippi and areas where flooding is not normally a problem. But according to weather forecast and more, two inches likely in some of these areas I just mentioned, certainly an inch to a half inch rain in other areas, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas even, and the Virginias all getting soaked here. So be very, very mindful of that when you're making your plans or making the plan to go out and do some honeydews in the next 24 to 48 hours. You might want to go ahead and knock it out if you've got a sunny sky out there now or a very clear moonlit sky if you're catching the podcast in the evening hours. You might want to fire up the lights in your yard and do a little nighttime lawn cutting because it's likely going to be pretty darn wet in the very near future 
for you. An update from Blacksburg, Virginia, as we know a little bit more information now about a freshman football player for the Virginia Tech football program who's been arrested and charged with second-degree murder and right now is in Utah of Virginia Tech. The 18-year-old, a native of Virginia Beach, is in jail. And the Montgomery County, Virginia, General District Judge, Judge Randall Duncan, has set a secured bond of $75,000 for ETA and he's going to remain in jail after prosecutors filed an expedited appeal. HUA charged in the death of a 40-year-old man, Jerry Smith, and it appears that this freshman football player who's no longer part of the football program or enrolled at Virginia Tech, it appears that he is being charged with second-degree murder after he fatally beat up his victim, this 40-year-old man, Jerry Smith, beat him up because... According to reports, this man was posing on Tinder as someone named Angie, which I assume Angie was a female. And it looks like there was an encounter, and this football player beat this man up so bad that it caused his death. And that happened at Virginia Tech in in Blacksburg, Virginia. If you're looking for more stimulus money, you could be in luck, as it looks like the IRS sending out right now 2.3 million more stimulus payments. You could be on the list. In all, the IRS has sent more than 160 million payments with a total value of $395 billion. But right now, 2.3 million of you folks out there, you fine folks, might be getting the latest round of payments. The most recent round of stimulus payments include these payments going to 900,000 people. 900,000 payments, a value of $1.9 billion, and it went to eligible individuals for whom the IRS previously did have not have information to issue a stimulus payment, but who recently filed a tax return. Those are among the recipients of this. Uh, I know families are also getting rewarded pretty soon, or if they are eligible, I say rewarded, they are getting a check from the IRS soon as part of the stimulus payment plan going on around the country right now. To Orlando, Florida, and right now it looks like this is going to go on Joe Biden's desk at the Resolute Desk in Washington, D.C., a bill to make Pulse Memorial nationally recognized as on Wednesday the U.S. Senate passed a measure to make this designation. In May, the U.S. House passed a bill to honor the 49 lives taken in June of 2016 at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida. 49 people killed at this mostly homosexual-type club, a gay club there in Orlando, and it has become a memorial site where nearly 50 people lost their lives. And although the National Pulse Memorial would be designated as a national site, it would not be part of the national park system according to the legislation that's passed. Federal funds would not be used in any way with this memorial in Orlando, but it looks like Joe Biden will sign this into law, and this will become a national memorial of this awful tragedy from 2016 in Orlando, Florida. Also in the news, we will tell you that if you're a Virginian, you're going to have a female of color as your next lieutenant governor. Right now, you've got a male of color, Justin Fairfax, as your current lieutenant governor. 
But due to this week's primary election on the Democratic side, Virginians on the Democratic side have selected Democratic Delegate Hala Ayala as the Lieutenant Governor nominee from the Democratic side. The Republicans had already chosen Winsome Sears, a black woman, as its candidate to be Lieutenant Governor. And so Virginia will have a black female Lieutenant Governor. No state in the country has ever elected a black female governor. We've had black male governors. In fact, I think I'm right on this. Doug Wilder of Virginia was the very first black governor in the country. And that was some 25 years ago. Virginia now going to have a black or woman of color as its next lieutenant governor when they go to the polls in just a few months. And the polls, when they go there on the Democratic side for governor, you've got Terry McAuliffe, who just won the Democratic side this week in the primary. He was a former governor of Virginia, and he is going to be the Democratic nominee. The Republican nominee is a guy who is a newcomer, a business person, who will be the Republican side. And Democrats expected to win in Virginia, in fact, it's been a long time looking back since a Republican has been in charge of the state politics of that state. But right now, Virginia, with Ralph Northam as governor, has the rule that you can only serve one term as governor, and then you have to walk away. You can be reelected, as McAuliffe hopes to be, now that he's going to be the nominee on the Democratic side come November. Jennifer Lopez was in Miami Beach. And J-Lo, who spends a lot of time in South Florida, took time out while she was there this week to pose for a picture with Miami Beach police officers. That's a very nice thing of the 51-year-old beautiful singer-actress. She was filming a music video with Puerto Rican artist Raul Alejandro on Espanola Way in Miami Beach, and she took time to go over and take a photo with three Miami Beach police officers. Now, this photo shoot, video shoot, if you will, of this Puerto Rican artist ended at 5 a.m., so maybe that's why she had extra time on her hand and no traffic on the streets there in Miami Beach. But back in the blue, if you will, although if you see the photo taken there on Espanola Way in the wee hours this week, J-Lo... Definitely stands out in her photo, standing beside these three hunks, if you will, from the Miami Beach Police Department. She looks scantily clad, if you will, posed next to these three fellas from MBPD. More news out of Miami. A man there chased on a scooter someone who stole his $200,000 Lamborghini. A SUV with a retail base price actually of $218,000. But this man saw his Lamborghini URUS SUV stolen by, it looks like a teen. And he decided to do something about it. He decided to chase after it on a scooter. As Chris Sandler, the owner, said to a Miami-area TV station, 
I'm in my home. I hear this thing start up. I look out the window and I see somebody driving it away. I got on the scooter, went after the guy. It's just a straight hustle. Police going everywhere. (laughs) Okay. The suspect allegedly parked the car not far from Sandler's home. He said, I stole a Lamborghini just now. That's what a witness said. Said the witness, they were sitting on a porch when the suspect approached him. The suspect told him he didn't have a license and couldn't drive. (laughs) But he can steal a Lamborghini. According to one report, the suspect who stole this was 14 years old and didn't know what to do. I think they got the car back, and I think it's okay. The teen take it into custody and is under home confinement in the care of the U.S. Department of Children and Families, not identified because he's underage. But the guy there in Miami did not want to see his car taken, so much so that he decided to get on his scooter and try to track it down. At least we have a somewhat happy ending here with nobody getting hurt. And in the case of the Lamborghini, it was not hurt too. So that's positive news coming from South Florida here on the Y'all Show. Another car thief story. This comes to us from Monroe in North Carolina, Union County, just to the southeast of Charlotte. And there's a football team that plays in Charlotte called the Carolina Panthers. They're an NFL team. And they just had one of their best players retire from the Panthers earlier this year, Thomas Davis Sr. And this former Georgia Bulldog player who spent more than a decade in the NFL, he rewarded himself not long ago with the purchase of a McLaren car, a luxury M-C-L-A-R-E-N. I think it's called McLaren. And somebody went to his Union County, North Carolina home and stole his McLaren from the garage there, Thomas T.D. Davis. And he's out talking about the theft of his luxury car this week as two thieves broke into his home on Tuesday and ended up damaging one of his vehicles after actually they didn't steal it. They tried to steal it. They attempted to drive off in it. Perhaps it's pretty hard to drive a McLaren. But the 38-year-old former NFL player went on social media to offer a cash reward to anyone that could help identify the what he called idiots. He said broke into his garage and attempted to steal his McLaren 720S. And Thomas Davis, this car looks more like a video game than it does an actual car didn't get too far they kind of did steal it enough to get it out of the garage but didn't get off the property thomas davis said on instagram if any of you recognize either one of these idiots that decided it was a good idea to come into my home and go through all of my cars and even steal and wreck my mclaren i'm offering a cash reward for anyone that can help identify who these guys are And I said, Davis just retired in March, and he's shared surveillance video of these suspects in an effort to try to get them. I would like a cash reward from Thomas Davis to help him find who these guys are. But Thomas Davis, I also wouldn't mind an autographed Thomas Davis jersey from you (laughs) because you were a great player. And I'm sorry that in your retirement, your, your glory years now, You're having to put up with foolishness from thieves trying to take your big, bright, yellow Lamborghini Urus SUV from your own garage. Now, if you are in most of the South right now, if you go outside, you might hear that awful sound of the cicada outbreak. 
I watched the golf tournament from Ohio this past weekend. And it was rather annoying to sit there and try to listen to the sounds of a golf tournament when all you could hear was the brood X cicadas doing their thing outside of Columbus, Ohio. And a lot of the southern states now have this same music, if you will, going on nonstop. And a story has come out from the Maryland area about how Maryland and Washington, D.C., all that area is having real problems with these brood X cicadas awaking from their 17-year slumber. But not far from there, just on the other side of the bay, if you will, in southern Maryland and in the eastern shore portion of Maryland, they're not having cicadas showing up there. And why is that? A professor of entomology at the University of Maryland said areas that do not see periodic cicadas are not, they're not there for a couple of reasons. As the professor, Michael Ropp, said, many of the broods of cicadas evolved during periods of glaciation over the last 100,000 years or so, and it could simply be that parts of Maryland's eastern shore was submerged underwater during times when glaciers receded and sea levels rose. That's an interesting point. But it's still right across the Chesapeake from the rest of Maryland. How could these things not be as annoying on the eastern shore and in southern Maryland as they are in the rest of the state and in many other areas of the south? According to Rob, he said that cicada eggs do not do well in sandy soil and that is across the region there and how about this these things don't go very far as he said they only fly about 100 feet 150 feet or so a year so even though there are trees now in areas it would take several years for them to move more than 150 feet so 150 feet would be 50 yards. These things only stay within a 50-yard area each time they come out. So to go from one place to a couple miles down the road would take you a decade or more. So that explains, Marie. Maybe if you're in an area where you thought you were going to have the brood X hanging out and they're not there, thanks to this, we might know why. These things just don't go very far. And for some of us Southerners, we're kind of like the brood X cicada. We don't really go very far from our homes each year either, do we? <laughs> Staying home, maybe the highlight would be go down to the Cracker Barrel from time to time. That, that's not a bad plan, actually. When we come back, we're going to wake from our slumber and continue on with the Y'all Show. We've got an entertainment report to tell you about. News out of Hollywood and some David Hasselhoff audio coming your way. It's talk with a southern accent. We are the Y'all Show. flight into the dangerous world of a man who does not exist. Michael Knight, a young loner on a crusade to champion the cause of the innocent, the helpless, the powerless, in a world of criminals who operate above the law. 
Yes, before Baywatch, there was Knight Rider from David Hasselhoff. This is y'all. This is the show covering all things Southern. I'm John Rawl, and we're here to talk about entertainment news and more, and we're here to talk about the Hoff. David Hasselhoff, born in Baltimore in 1952, the 68-year-old legendary actor, singer, producer, businessman, and more. And did you realize that Hasselhoff spent most of his childhood in Jacksonville, Florida, then actually lived in Atlanta and attended the prestigious Marist School? David Hasselhoff, a Southern boy and a really cool guy, I think. I haven't had a chance to hang out with Hasselhoff. Have have y'all? Well, how about this effort? David Hasselhoff, who is beloved here in the South, beloved in the country, really beloved in Europe, he has made a PSA video that has urged Germans to get vaccinated. And he's calling on the nation of Germany to go out there and get help from their health ministry of Deutschland. Speaking to a camera in front of palm trees and a blue sky, the Knight Rider star and Baywatch star says getting a jab is the best way for people to regain their freedom. And he even lifts up his sleeve to reveal a small plaster on his upper arm i have this audio that has german subtitles here but he actually does not speak in deutsch he is speaking in english and hasselhoff beloved in germany he famously appeared suspended above the berlin wall on new year's eve 1989 singing the song looking for freedom david hasselhoff but here is his psa put out this week to the fine folks in Germany to tell them to go out and get the coronavirus vaccine. David Hasselhoff. Let me stop Night Riders music here. I didn't know it was still going on. So that you can enjoy not the music, but the actual voice of David Hasselhoff, a native of Maryland, a native of Jacksonville, Florida, and a native of Atlanta. Did you know all that? You probably didn't. Here's David Hasselhoff. Take it away there, sir. Death. Get vaccinated. The advice I can give to everyone in America and to the world and to Germany is get vaccinated. All right. There you have it. And he shows off a Band-Aid on his arm there with his guns while he's displaying that and for our germans who might be listening here let me show off my german skills as i'm going to do my best translation of this same psa message for the fine folks of germany about getting a vaccination so here we go with my translation ich freue mich darauf wieder zum alltag zurückzuhen auf die freiheit die freiheit Sich impfen zu lassen und um die Welt zu reisen, meine wichtige Erfahrung an der Pandemie. Der Tod. Sie verrückt Tod. Lassen Sie sich zurück, mein Rat an alle in Amerika, in der ganzen Welt und in Deutschland. Lassen Sie sich impfen. Sehr gut. Achu. <laughs> Uh, uh, Gesundheit is what I was trying to say. That David Hasselhoff, the beloved David Hasselhoff, and I'll wrap up my German for the day with that. The 68-year-old actor telling folks in Germany to get their vaccines. Thank you, David Hasselhoff, for doing that. 
How about this story coming to us from the entertainment world? And that is something to help promote black cooking. There's a Netflix series, High on the Hog, How African-American Cuisine Transformed America. Host Stephen Satterfield travels around alongside culinary historian Jessica B. Harris to showcase black cuisine and how it has transformed America. High on the Hog. And I haven't seen the series. It looks really fun. It looks very yummy as Satterfield and Harris go around exploring black cuisine and its connection from Africa to the South, primarily. And as a white guy, yes, unfortunately for some of you, may have thought I was some other ethnicity. I'm, I'm actually a white guy, supposedly. Supposedly I'm white. Let me tell you as a non-black guy, how important black cuisine has been to this country. I would not have had the childhood that I had without the influence of black cuisine. I, as you may know, grew up and my family still is living right there and working on a farm that specializes in collard greens and turnip greens and collards came directly from West Africa by the slaves. And they were planted in the early days of this country by slaves, and slaves devoured them. And I'm not telling you something you probably don't know. Most black folks and a lot of white folks love collard greens, and it has a direct connection to Africa. If you didn't have blacks and their influence on food, you wouldn't have things like barbecue in this part of the world. You wouldn't have fried chicken. And I'm not giving all the credit to blacks. I think one of the great things about this part of the world is it's the amalgam of black and white culture together that has taken parts of their culture from Africa and the white influence from Europe or wherever whites come from, the American Indian influence, and it's this melting pot, this jambalaya, if you will, of cultures that have made Southern food, specifically, what it is. And a large part of all that is the black influence and the connection to Africa and bringing that food over. And so, therefore, this seems like a very noteworthy series out on Netflix, and you can go check it out if you want to. High on the Hog and... It also includes Nichelle Nichols in it. Do you know who she was? She was on the Star Trek original series. And how cool is that? That She's got a role. I think I may be wrong with that. Her picture showing up here in this article, but uh, go check it out. It is available on Netflix right now from Steven Satterfield and Jessica B. Harris. High on the Hog, How African-American Cuisine Transformed America. If you want to learn about history and culture and the black influence, it seems like a very, very good option. We're going to take a break. Come right back with you on the Y'all Show. We're going to talk about the CMA Awards, which were held Wednesday in Music City. We'll give you the report of who all won. And speaking of great black folks, Linda Martell was a country music singer back in the late 60s and early 70s, and she 
had a song that reached around 20 on the country music chart. And unless you were around in the early 60s or early 70s, you may not have heard this song. I'm going to play a portion of that right after the break, and I'll tell you more about Linda Martell and how on the CMT Awards on Wednesday she was honored the first black woman to ever play on the Grand Ole Opry. I'll tell you about her and more as we continue on with this Thursday Y'all Talk Show as we discuss food, black history, white history, American Indian history, everything to do with the South, and entertainment news, and then leave even a little David Hasselhoff here on the show all about y'all. And this is the Y'all Show on a Thursday. Time now to go to Nashville and get the latest in country music. And if you tuned in on a bunch of different networks Wednesday night, you saw the CMT Music Awards taking place, and you heard all about the lady singing that song right there, Linda Martell, a black country music pioneer from Batesburg, Leesville, South Carolina. That is her home area. And the lady that's now in her 80s, honored on Wednesday's show with the CMT Equal Play Award, Linda Martell. I'm going to tell you more about her in just a second here on the Y'all Show, and we'll keep playing this song she had out that hit around 20 on the charts in the late 60s, Color Him Father. But it was a big night in Nashville Wednesday when this award show aired on CMT, MTV, MTV2, The Logo Network, Paramount Network, and TV Land. If you were watching TV Wednesday, there's a darn good chance you couldn't help but see the CMT Awards being televised from Nashville's Bridgestone Arena. And the stars were all out. Kelsey Ballerini and Kane Brown co-hosted the show from downtown Nashville. Carrie Underwood took home Video of the year, that beat out Keith Urban and the two hosts of the night, Kelsey Ballerini and Kane Brown's videos, as well as Keith Urban's little video he did with Pink. That was a big winner for Carrie Underwood, winning the song that she did with John Legend, Hallelujah. I don't even think I've seen that thing, but that was the video of the year from the 2021 CMT Music Awards. 
The other winners and other nominees of video for females, Carly Pierce, Next Girl. That's a really creative video out there. And Mickey Guyton, another black female. Heaven Down Here, that was nominated. Also, Miranda Lambert, Female Video of the Year for Settling Down. And that was a nomination there. But, yes, Kane Brown, the guy from the Chattanooga area co-hosting this with Kelsey Ballerini, who's a Tennessee native as well. And Gabby Barrett and Brown won Female Video of the Year and Male Video of the Year, respectively, for their selections. Little Big Town got the Duo Group Video of the Year for their selection that they had as a nominee. Little Big Town's Wine, Beer, and Whiskey beat out Lady Annabellum's Like a Lady, Brothers Osborne's All Night, and Runaway June's We Were Rich. Big night in Nashville with all of these nominees and star-studded performances and more from Bridgestone Arena. And great to see a pretty big crowd there on Lower Broadway for the CMT Music Awards and a return to normalcy perhaps for Nashville and for the entertainment business having this award show go down and and be televised on all of those networks. That's what was so amazing to see. Now, as I said, part of the celebration, if you will, of the Wednesday award show was having this special honor for Linda Martell as she was honored with the CMT Equal Play Award. Linda Martell from South Carolina is now 80 years old. She was born June in 41, born in Leesville, South Carolina, home of the South Carolina Poultry Festival. And she was signed to Plantation Records back in the late 1960s after a little bit of a career in R&B effort she had working in places like Muscle Shoals. But she ended up going to Nashville recording. She got invited to be on the Grand Ole Opry, and she appeared on the Opry several times. She was the first black female to ever play on the Grand Ole Opry. She had one album out, Color Me Country. And that went to 40 on the charts on the Plantation imprint back in 1970 when it was released. And that song we played, Color Him Father, was released in 1969, went to 22 on the chart. And this was a song also that was released by other artists, and Linda's kind of credited with a cover written by Richard Lewis Spencer and first recorded by R&B group The Winstons. But she had her own version out, and it was what led her to be invited to the Grand Ole Opry. And Color Him Father was released just a couple days after it was recorded in July of 1969. And her version received positive reviews throughout the country music landscape at the time. And as I said, it went to number 22 back in 1969 for Linda Martell. Then she ultimately kind of fell off of the charts, and she fell kind of off of the radar. I, as a native of the same county that she's from, had never heard her story. I never knew about Linda Martell. And the only reason I ever found out about her was I was thumbing through the Joel Whitburn book that has every song that's ever charted 
I was just kind of flipping through there one day, and I noticed for this person that listed her hometown, and that's where I got my radio start. And I did not know who she was. In fact, until his death two years ago, I was extremely close and is one of my closest friends with the man that ran the radio station in the same town that she was from that would have played country music back in 1969. And he wasn't all that familiar with Linda Martell. So it was a real fact finder for me to to learn more about her. And I went and bought the record that she had out on Plantation Records and enjoyed hearing. I love that steel guitar, boy. That's some good stuff coming from that session from 1969. But she's still alive. She lives in Leesville, South Carolina, in that area. And her granddaughter has actually been working on a documentary about her grandmother, Linda Martell, who actually was born with a different name, her birth name, Thelma Bynum. And that might be part of the reason when I tried to find her before, I could not find her in the phone book or however else people find people in these modern times we live in. But I would love to have met her. She's, again, 80 years old. From what I can see, she looks very, very classy. And she put out some classy music. And unlike maybe some other artists at the time, she just didn't get to the top ten and number one. But she did get a fair chance. There's a lot of people who go to Nashville, no matter what their skin color is, and never have any success. And so on Wednesday at the CMT Awards, they honored Linda Martell with the Equal Play Award. And congratulations to her. And maybe if you get a chance, you will learn more about this first black woman to ever perform on the Grand Ole Opry and have that kind of success following Charlie Pride and what he did as the first superstar black male artist or just black period in country music. Dolly Parton. Another talented female. She's working on the new Country Bluegrass album. And that will be out very, very soon. As she announced on Instagram that she's going to be having this bluegrass-infused album. I don't have an exact time when it's set to arrive. But Dolly is so darn talented. She's recorded a version of the Jimmy Rogers classic Mule Skinner Blues Blue Yodel Number no. 8. That should be part of it, and more. So look for Country Bluegrass from Miss Dolly in the months ahead. Tricia Yearwood and her husband Garth Brooks are open to the possibility of hosting their own talk show. Oh, my goodness. Now, she's also had her own TV career. She's had a TV cooking show, Tricia's Southern Kitchen, on the Food Network, and it looks like they're up for hosting their own talk show. We don't need the competition, Tricia and Garth. Y'all have your own success. You just stay in your lane. Leave the talk shows to the y'all show. I don't think they're going to listen to me, though. But they are at least contemplating that switch of careers to talk show host. I think they would do a good job. You know, Ellen DeGeneres is stepping aside, so maybe they see a void that they can perhaps as a couple do something that nobody's done all that great as a couple since Regis and Kathy Lee, and they weren't even married Not that I know of. Willie Nelson, he's not married to Barbara Streisand, but he's teaming up with Barbara to perform the song, I'd Want It to Be You. And Blake Shelton has previously recorded a rendition of the song for Streisand's 2014 album, Partners. And Willie's telling Barbara, I think I could do better than that Blake Shelton guy. Let me 
team up with you and sing I'd Want It To Be You. The duet with Nelson was originally intended for Streisand's 2014 album Partners, and that was a collection of duets with male singers that Barbara Streisand did. And this particular recording was still a work in progress as the album's release date approached. So since it was that, Blake Shelton stepped in to record a rendition with Streisand, and it was on that 2014 album. But yeah, Barbara Streisand and Willie Nelson together on I'd Want It To Be You, the singer and actress, Barbara Streisand, and the singer and actor, Willie Hugh Nelson, I think is his middle name. And that is all that's going on in Nashville, Tennessee, with our country music news and notes. We'll take a break here on the Y'all Show. We will wrap up our number two after this break. We'll come right back and give you a quick update on what's going on across the southeast and more as the show covering everything southern returns after this time out. We've got a southern accent on business coming from Kobe Bennett. Stay tuned. He sits down at the dinner table and has a bite Never found always a smile When he says to me How's my child? I say that I Southern Here's a Business South update from Yaw.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. Restaurants, bars, caterers, and others in the food service industry who applied for the government's pandemic relief program will be left high and dry unless Congress provides more money for the grant. The Small Business Administration's Restaurant Revitalization Fund collected more than 372,000 applications, seeking $76 billion, far exceeding the grant's $28.6 million budget, according to Administrator Isabella Casillas-Guzman at a House Small Business Committee oversight hearing. The agency sees receiving applications May 24th. The fund was created by Congress in March and prioritized women and veterans' applications first, alongside minority business owners who met specific income and asset limits. As more than 208,000 applications met those stipulations, it will be met first, said Ms. Guzman. Another grant program, the Shuttered Venue Operators Grant, for live event businesses such as theaters and music clubs, appears to have enough funding for qualified applicants. With the $16, with the $16 billion program receiving 13,000 applications that have totaled around $11 billion. Though the program has progressed far slower than the restaurant grant. Business news, headlines, and more at y'all.com. All right, Kobe, thank you for that. And that will wrap up our second hour on this. The show covered everything Southern. Got a whole nother hour of y'all coming your way. Hang on. After the break, we'll catch you up with what's going on in the world of Southern sports. We'll also, speaking of the coronavirus, Kobe, we've got some more coronavirus news we'll pass along as we cruise the South in the third hour. And also a look at more headlines and some great festivals planned for this weekend across Dixie. Oh, it's going to be great. And it's coming your way after this on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent.
we've reached the final hour of this Thursday y'all show. Hope y'all doing good. John Rawl, the general of all things Southern, back in with you. You can connect to us here. Our email address is mail at y'all.com. Our website is y'all.com. It is the South's homepage, y-a-l-l.com. Connect to us on Facebook at Y'all Show on Facebook. And don't forget, you can listen to our show on great radio stations booming out across the southeast. And, of course, you can catch the podcast edition if you're not able to catch us or miss a portion of us on a local radio station. You can check that out at the Apple Podcast option, the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn app, the Stitcher app, and at y'all.com. It's a soggy Thursday for most Southerners, so be careful out there. Watch for flash flooding if you experience heavy downpours in your special spot of Dixie as we get you ready for the weekend here on this Thursday Y'all show. We've got coming up in this hour more information on the coronavirus. I'll pass along that and maybe how you can benefit from some of the things out there offered to us as we get through the pandemic and and things start to reopen. We'll have that in the next segment of today's third hour. Also in this third hour, more headlines coming across the southeast. A woman in Florida, a Florida woman just swears a dinosaur was in her backyard. I wonder if she's owned something. I'll tell you. So stay tuned for that information in our look at headlines across the southeast. Also, we'll let you know if you're going to be in, I call it the demarcation line between middle and east Tennessee. If you're going to be traveling on Interstate 40 in the near future, you're going to have something right out of Texas to greet you. Bucky's. The famous Texas pit stop. They've expanded to Alabama in the last two years. Bucky's is coming to the volunteer state. I'll tell you all about it. So those long trips across across Tennessee on Interstate 40 just got a lot more exciting. As Bucky's and we're trying to actually set up an interview with a representative of the company to come on here and talk about their expansion to Alabama and Tennessee and other states perhaps might be on the planning for Bucky's. And we'll also tell you about how a Kentucky youngster donated his Pokemon cards for an amazing cause, and you're not going to want to miss out on what happened to this Corbin, Kentucky youngster. As we have our headlines from across the southeast that we'll get to before the hour's up, and before the hour's up, we also will be walking you through the great festivals taking place across the Southland this very weekend. All that here, that is a full third hour, and it is my job on the Y'all Show to get you set up for entertainment and fun and, and news. We want you to feel proud. How many shows out there have, as part of their mission statement, the attempt to make you feel proud? Proud that you're a great American, but also proud that you're a great Southerner. And nothing to be ashamed of here on this show about this part of the world. We love it. We talk the talk. We walk the walk. And we really do talk the talk. <laughs> That's our, our job. That's why we call the show the Y'all Show Talk with a Southern Accent. By golly, we are unapologetically Southern. And we always try to do our best to make you feel proud to be a Southern American. 
on Talk With a Southern Accent. Let's go to our sports blast here to start out this third hour. The NBA's playoffs roll on. And on Wednesday, we saw a very good performance in the Valley as a former Wake Forest sharpshooter, a former Wake Forest all-around good guy, Chris Paul, CP3, with a big night. He didn't get quite to the 20-point mark, but his Phoenix Suns pick up the victory there in Phoenix, 123-98 over the Denver Nuggets as he had CP3 15 assists, zero turnovers to help his team take a 2-0 series lead against the Denver Nuggets in this Western Conference semifinals action going on from downtown Phoenix in the NBA. Now, what is going on NBA-wise here on this 10th day of June? You're going to have a renewal of the Bucks and Nets. The Bucks are down 2-0. They better you know, buck themselves up and run like a deer or else they're going to have a very long offseason arriving a lot sooner than they ever imagined if they can't get it done against the Brooklyn Nets. And the Nets are a team that at the start of the season, they hardly had anybody worth mentioning on their roster. You didn't know if they would even make a playoff. And here they are. Two games up, could go to three if they are able to go into Milwaukee and win. And the Nets could be marching into a conference championship finals if they're able to survive against the Greek freak at Fiserv Forum in Milwaukee. That game set to tip off on ESPN at 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Milwaukee time between the Nets and the Bucks. Then after that one, from Vivint Smart Home Arena in SLC, you got the Jazz and the L.A. Clippers. Right now, Utah with a 1-0 series lead. They're expected to win this one, and so the Clippers will go back to Tinseltown if that ends up being the case with a 2-0 deficit. And we'll have to survive in their home arena there in Los Angeles if they want to try to make a competitive series here. But Jazz Clippers scheduled in the late slot of the NBA here on this Thursday evening if you want to check that out. Now, Thursday afternoon viewing, if you want to check out some excitement in the college sports world, the Oklahoma Sooners and the Florida State Seminoles will be going up against each other in the deciding game three of the Women's College World Series from Oklahoma City. Now, the Sooners bounced back after being beat by FSU on when, on Tuesdays when that game was. Wednesday, the Sooners come back and beat FSU 6-2. to two. And so that forces a game three, and that's set to take place this afternoon from the Women's College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. Now, one player for OU, Jocelyn Ilo, hit a go-ahead homer in that sixth inning on Wednesday to lead her Sooners to victory. That was Alo's 33rd home run of the year, and that ends up being a school record. And she is the USA Softball Collegiate Player of the Year, by the way, and a very great performance for Jocelyn Alo of Oklahoma to get the big 
homer and the big victory against Oklahoma, against Florida State. And the Women's College World Series, again, championship taking place on this Thursday afternoon. The Baylor Bears had a little bit of a positive story that happened from the court standpoint of that university. On Wednesday, a jury in Houston only took a couple hours to decide that Baylor and three former football players were not responsible for the alleged sexual assault of a former female student athlete in 2017. Now, this trial for this case started back in May, and it was a little bit of a test of whether Baylor University had changed its ways since a pattern of mishandled sexual assaults, mostly around football players, if that ended up leading to, and ended up leading to the firing of Coach Art Bryles and ultimately the departure of school president Ken Starr and athletic director Ian McCall. And this latest trial that Baylor was a part of was to see if perhaps Baylor has progressed in trying to stem cases or alleged cases of sexual assault on the Waco campus. Again, the jury on Wednesday deciding that Baylor and three former football players not responsible for a sexual assault that was alleged to have happened in 2019. In our number one today on the Y'all Show, we had an SEC report telling you a lot of transfers going on in the SEC from a college basketball standpoint. Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on from the college football standpoint of the SEC in terms of transfers. As Just like all college sports right now, the SEC and all conferences are experiencing I'm sure the most amount of transfers they've ever had because due to the pandemic, NCAA rules now have been altered to where you can transfer and play immediately. No sitting out, no penalty. And so you've got transfers coming and going. One of those transfers this year into LSU is Mike Jones Jr. And he's a former Clemson linebacker, now going to be an LSU Tiger. And that his presence on the defense should be able to help out new defensive coordinator Durante Jones and the Bayou Bengals. Eric Gilbert is someone else new to a program in the SEC as this great player comes in and is likely to do a great job for Todd Munkin's offense in the tight end position, helping out JT Daniels and more. Eric Gilbert transferring in. I think he was at Tennessee, I think is where he comes from. And that is an addition there for the Dogs. Florida's going to have the services of running back to Marcus Bowman in 2021. And now with dual threat Emory, dual threat quarterback Emory Jones, who's a lot different than Kyle Trask suiting up in the orange and blue, you could see a very, very good running back performance for UF in 2021. Brown or Bowman, DeMarcus Bowman comes to Florida from Clemson where he starred behind Travis Etienne and frankly didn't see a lot of playing time. So he's looking to see his name in the bright lights when he gets to Gainesville in the coming coming days. Now you also have the Kentucky Wildcats also trying to beef up their backfield as they have a transfer in from Nebraska. Wandale Robinson, write it on the fridge and memorize this name. 
W A N apostrophe D A D A L E W A N apostrophe D A L E. Juan Dale Robinson had four, 580 rushing yards, 914 receiving yards during his two years playing for Coach Frost and the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and now moves to Lexington, where he'll be suiting up for Mark Stoops and hoping to be a lot bigger player in the backfield for this team. He's described as a five foot ten, hundred and eighty five pound Swiss Army knife. And if Coach Stoops utilizes him and his other offensive playmakers the way that he can, look for Kentucky to be a much improved football team in twenty twenty one thanks to players like Wandale Robinson suiting up for the big blue. Now Alabama's had a transfer from Tennessee. Henry Toto has decided to leave Rocky Top and head to the Capstone. Uh, he was a big, big transfer whenever the news was announced earlier this year that he would be leaving UT for UA. And he's a linebacker that can make a sudden and direct impact. He had 140 tackles in his two seasons at Neyland Stadium. And he should be finding himself in a starting role for Nick Saban as a linebacker for this forthcoming season. And that's a look at some of the big-name SEC football transfers expected to make a big impact. And this is an article you can go check out more. A guy that really knows his SEC sports, Barrett Salee, penned this at cbssports.com, and he's got much more data to pass along if you're looking for information to strengthen your case if you're an SEC fan that has benefited from some of these guys coming into your favorite program. There you have it. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we will be switching over to talk about what's going on from a coronavirus standpoint in the Southeast. That's up next. It's Talk with a Southern Accent with John Rawls. Stay where you are. We'll be right back. Continuing on with the show all about the Southeast here, we're in the helping business on the Y'all Show. We want to help you learn and stay healthy and more. And we've got an article up from KARK.com. They've got it posted there of why some people are hit with side effects after getting the COVID-19 vaccine. Side effects include headaches, pain at the injection site, Right there where you got stuck in the arm, perhaps. Chills are among 
the side effects of COVID-19's vaccine? How about drowsiness, muscle pain, nausea, heat? You get hot. Some of you get fatigued. And these are all temporary side effects going on for some after they have had their COVID-19 vaccination. Now, doctors and more say these symptoms are a normal response to vaccines and are quite common. Dr. Peter Marks of the U.S. FDA, he's the vaccine chief, says he even experienced fatigue after his first dose. And he says the day after getting these vaccines, I wouldn't plan anything that was strenuous physical activity. There you have it. You don't have to go into work if you have a strenuous job, maybe mentally, maybe more mental than physical. But Dr. Mark says, stay away if you're going to have physical activity. According to research and perhaps even from Dr. Marks, what's happening is the immune system has two main arms, and the first kicks in as soon as the body detects a foreign intruder. White blood cells swarm to the site, prompting inflammation that's responsible for the chills, soreness, fatigue, and all those other crazy wild side effects that you might be experiencing. This rapid response step of your immune system tends to get a little bit less strenuous with age. One reason younger people report side effects more often than older adults. And also, some vaccines simply elicit more reactions than others. But as you might expect, everyone reacts differently to a vaccination. If you didn't feel anything a day or two after either one of your doses, that doesn't mean the vaccine's not working. Just be patient. It's likely doing its thing. Behind the scenes, the shots also set in motion the second part of your immune system, which will provide the real protection from the virus by producing antibodies. Now, some of you might be having what they call a nuisance side effect. As the immune system is activated, it sometimes causes temporary swelling in lymph nodes, such as, of course, the lymph nodes under the arm. Women are encouraged to schedule routine mammograms ahead of a COVID-19 vaccination to avoid a swollen node being mistaken for cancer. That's helpful information here. Now, those are some of your common side effects, what they call nuisance side effects. But you also have side effects that are not quite routine. After hundreds of millions of vaccine doses have been administered now around the world and intense safety monitoring going on, there have been a few serious risks that have been identified. A tiny percentage of people who get vaccines made by AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson reported an unusual type of blood clot. Now, some countries reserve those shots for older adults, but regulatory authorities say the benefits of offering them still outweighs the risk. Those might have been the ones that were the one-shot dose, and that could have been why it was still worth waiting for having that second round. Some people have had serious allergic reactions. That's why they tell you when you go in and get one. And I've had my second shot, and I've been through the two-week wait period, and I am fully vaccinated. Woo-woo! Hopefully some of you out there are fully vaccinated. And if you don't want to be vaccinated, that's your right. I'm not here to preach or, or tell you what to do. But I think we're going to reach a point where most Southerners 
are vaccinated and fully vaccinated pretty soon, and I just happen to be in that category. I'm also very fortunate that I never, to my knowledge, had COVID-19. A lot of you have had to have that, and it's been very tough for some of you. And sadly, a large number of Southerners have died from COVID-19. We never want to forget that awful chapter that's happened with the loss of so many Southerners and great Americans due to the and people around the world, frankly, who've died from this thing. But some serious allergic reactions can happen. That's why you have to stick around. And when I got my second vaccine, the clock on the wall at the pharmacy I was there was kind of tucked away and I didn't have my phone with me. That's what I used to check the time. So I kind of depended on a worker there in the pharmacy to tell me when my 15 minutes was up. And I don't think they were paying attention to me. And I don't blame them. How about a shout out to all those who work in pharmacies? That is a stressful, chaotic position to be in. And they have to do a lot of paperwork. If you're the pharmacist, you have to ask questions or you have to have questions answered. You got to be there. I don't think you can own a pharmacy or have a pharmacy open if your pharmacist is not there working. They can't go take a lunch break and have a prescription filled, to my knowledge. That's why a friend of mine who owned a pharmacy for a long time in Arkansas would get paid after he sort of reached retirement years big money to go to pharmacies around the area of which they lived in and would get paid cash money. And he told me he really didn't have to do anything. He just had to be there. And therefore, the pharmacy of which he worked was happy to pay him because they wouldn't be able to administer any kind of prescription without a pharmacist on duty. But most of the work, as he said, and I, I'm, who am I to judge, most of the hard work in a pharmacy comes through the pharmacy techs, the people there that are actually doing most of the work. But I know there's plenty of pharmacists out there who fill the prescriptions themselves and do a lot of the work. It doesn't matter. There's a risk involved in the pharmaceutical industry, and every single pharmacist or worker at a pharmacy could make a big boo-boo, and luckily that doesn't happen very often. Their job is something that many of us depend on and so here on the Y'all Show, want to thank them. And I don't think any pharmacist, when they were going through their training or pharmacy techs going through their training, thought that one day they're going to end up being a vaccination clinic as opposed to a place you go get your drugs filled. But that's what most of these national chains and even smaller pharmacies around have had to do. They've had to help out on the COVID-19 vaccination front. And I want to thank them. Thank you. On behalf of the entire South, I'm sort of the South spokesperson, and I'm thanking y'all for your great work. And if you want to talk to me about advertising, you're welcome to do that too, Pharmacies of the South, 803-816-1170. That's a number any of you can call, frankly, if you want to be a part of the Y'all Show and, and help us help you get your message out to your portion of the South. We are here to help you, 803-816-1170. Seventies. Now, the final thing that the U.S. FDA and other authorities are wanting to make sure is stressed when it comes to 
how some people are affected by side effects with the coronavirus is how to determine whether you have a temporary heart inflammation that can occur with infections that might be a rare side effect after the mRNA vaccines, the kind made by Pfizer and Moderna. U.S. health officials can't yet tell if there's a link, but say they're monitoring a small number of reports, mostly from male teens or young adults, again, with an inflammation around the heart caused by a vaccine. But as the article said from KARK.com, still plenty more positive to come from getting your vaccination than not getting a vaccine at all. And here on the Y'all Show, as we said, we're in the helping business, and hopefully that little conversation about side effects of the vaccine is helping you and your determination of should I or should not not get the vaccine. Yeah, go ahead and get it. I think you'll be all right. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we will kind of work our way to the conclusion of this Thursday, y'all, with a look at more headlines from across the southeast. What about this woman in Florida who swears she saw a dinosaur? Maybe she had just had a vaccine and was kind of seeing things. Who knows? We'll be right back on y'all. back on y'all and for all the flautist of the world that song right there and that band from spartanburg made flutes great again how about mixing a flute in with a southern rock classic that's what the marshall tucker band did and continues to do they still are out there touring doug and the and the fellows there it is y'all we're kind of winding things down on a thursday and we'll continue on with a few News items of the day. And a woman from Florida said back in April, her security camera recorded video of a dinosaur-like creature outside her home, and she still believes that she saw a small dinosaur running through her yard in the central Florida area. Christina Ryan told a... TV station Fox 35 in Orlando there has never been an answer to what it was even despite asking neighbors we are all still convinced it's a dinosaur a dinosaur in Orlando and she's now doubling down on her belief that she saw this baby dinosaur not a baby shark do 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 no way it's a baby Barney a baby dinosaur running through her yard 
as this security camera recorded a creature outside her Palm Coast, Florida home. Just a few seconds of footage recorded what appeared to be a creature with a thick tail dashing through the yard. I think it was a possum. (laughs) Possum, dinosaurs, they kind of look alike. A little baby dinosaur could be a possum. But you can go check out the news of the day and find the video. And you tell me if you saw a raptor there in that portion of the Sunshine State. She says she's having some fun with it. She's told that same Fox 35 in Orlando. Any animal we can come up with that would be walking at 3.40 in the morning wouldn't walk this way. She said, maybe I've watched Jurassic Park too many times, but I see a raptor or other small dinosaur in her video camera footage at her home there in Palm Coast, Florida. Let me let me play this video. I'm sorry y'all don't have the luxury of seeing what I'm seeing here, but mm, I don't see anything there. Let me, let me try that again. Maybe, here we go. Uh, try that. Mm. Repeat on home footage. How many of you, I don't have a home video security system where I live. I wonder how many of you make a big effort on a daily or weekly basis to go and survey your video footage. Do y'all do that? Are you that bored? Or do you get instant alerts to your phone to where there's any kind of motion? You will be alerted and you go watch it there. I've been with people who, oh my goodness, let me check this out. And it's a video of their home security camera. It's kind of neat, but it has to get a little annoying after a while, especially when it goes off when there's a bird or a dog or a cat or, in this case, a dinosaur, perhaps, going through the backyard. All the fun that we've got here living in the 21st century. If you're in Maryland right now, and at least in portions of Maryland, you might not be hearing cicadas. Why is that? Did you realize cicadas don't go very far when they come out every 17 years? The average range of a cicada, they fly around 150 feet or so a year when they are out every 17 years as the brood X cicada is experiencing right now in many portions of the southeast. Cicada eggs do not do well in sandy soils. That's why some portions of the south, there is no big cicada outbreak going on. I guess they're more of the clay type soil preferred for brood X cicadas. But if you haven't got them going on, in your portion of the south, especially as you work your way toward the eastern coast, it might be because you've got some sandy soil and or the cicadas of thousands of years ago when they first started showing up in this part of the world are just so lazy they haven't made their way to your area. But give them a couple of thousand more years and chances are they'll be buzzing away real soon. Great news if you're an I-40 traveler across Tennessee as you're going to have, in the very near future, a brand new pit stop to make. And this is going to be at the border between East and Middle Tennessee in Crossville as the friendliest beaver is going to be making its way to Tennessee. We're talking about Texas-based Bucky's, and they're going to open a new Bucky's in Crossville, Tennessee, as crews will be breaking ground on Tuesday, 
in Crossville of a brand new Bucky's Travel Center. It's going to have over 53,000 square feet and 120 fueling positions outside of its store that's dedicated only to cars and trucks. It's not dedicated to the 18-wheelers, Bucky's. And you'll also have there in Crossville thousands of snacks and drink options for travelers on the go. Millions of people stop at Bucky's every year to enjoy their Texas-style barbecue, homemade fudge, beaver nuggets. Don't know what that is, but their little logo is a beaver. Also, they've got fresh pastries available at Bucky's. The new Bucky's in Crossville, Tennessee, located at 2045 Genesis Road. And this is part of Bucky's multi-state expansion across the South that began back in 2019. And now they've got locations in Florida, as well as stores in central Alabama. They've got them on the eastern shore of Alabama, around Fairhope. They even have a Bucky's in Georgia. I don't know where that one is, but they also just recently broke ground in Kentucky. I don't have a location. And they have a Bucky's underway in South Carolina. Something tells me that's probably around Florence. It's where that one's going to be to catch the I-95 traffic. But I don't know for sure. Don't know for sure. But, yeah, that new Bucky's in Crossville, Tennessee, will bring at least 175 new permanent full-time jobs to Crossville, set to open in 2023. It takes a long time. Again, this is a 53,000-square-foot Bucky's going in in Crossville. We'll certainly make those trips between Nashville and Knoxville a lot more exciting. Now to Corbin, Kentucky, and a card game company has reached out to help a little Corbin boy who made a big sacrifice to save his puppy. Eight-year-old Bryson Kleiman. He went viral back in May when he set up a roadside stand to sell his Pokemon card collection to raise enough money to save his puppy named Bruce. And Bruce had Parvo. His mom helped him set up a GoFundMe page, which raised about five times what was needed. People around the world reached out to young Bryson to donate new cards, including Corbin's Troll and Toad. $420 worth of Pokemon cards and boxes have helped rebuild his collection. Now Bryson's dog is currently getting treatment. His mother is donating their excess money to help other dogs get treated too. But this youngster helping out his dog to try to get past Parvo Puppy. It's a puppy, Bruce the Puppy, and his owner, 8-year-old Bryson Kleiman, setting up a roadside stand to raise enough money to help his puppy keep on living. How about that, coming from the south here, this young man, in love with his puppy and Pokemon, which is beloved by a lot of youngsters out here in the south right now, coming through to make a feel-good story to wrap up our headlines on this Thursday Y'all Show. Hang on, a quick look at festivals across the Southland as you get ready for this big weekend in the month of June. We have that information. Oh, it's a wonderful time of year. It's the South in the summertime. We'll come right back, y'all. Stay tuned. This is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent with your host, John Rawl.
shining bright. Edge of the water, we were feeling all right. Back down a country road, the girls are always hot and the beer is ice cold. Cadillac, horns on the hood. My buddy Frankie had his dad hook him up good. Girls smile when we roll by. They hop in the back and we cruise to the riverside. Whoa. Never gonna grow up. Whoa. Never gonna slow down. Whoa. We were shining like lighters in the dark in the middle of a rock show. Whoa. We were doing it right. Whoa. We were coming alive. Whoa. Yeah, call in a southern summer barefoot blue jean night. Oh, we can all have that southern summer barefoot blue jean night across the Southland this weekend. That is, if it's not raining all over the darn place. And we got a couple of festivals across the Southland to let you know about where you can put on that pair of blue jeans and get barefoot and have a good old time. How about this weekend in northeast Alabama and Jackson County? They got the Stevenson Depot Days this weekend, right beside Bridgeport, between Scottsboro and Chattanooga, technically between Scottsboro and South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, is where you'll find Stevenson. And it's the Depot Days Festival this weekend. How about some Lebanese food? You can enjoy that this weekend in the Magic City of Birmingham. This weekend, it's the St. Elias Lebanese Food and Cultural Festival in the capital, not the, the cultural capital, at least of central Alabama, is Birmingham, and that's going on this weekend. How about in the natural state this weekend? In Warren, Arkansas, it's the Bradley County Pink Tomato Festival. Pink tomatoes. I need to learn more about that one. In Warren, Arkansas, going on this weekend. Also in Paris, Arkansas, this weekend, it's the annual Mount Magazine international butterfly festival taking place and one more arkansas event going on this weekend it's junk fest going on in cedarville arkansas this weekend how about the sunshine state of florida lots of fun going on in the state of florida this weekend and we'll tell you what that includes you have in boca raton the forbidden kingdom festival this weekend shrimp fest takes place at wesley chapel in the state of Florida. Jacksonville this weekend has the Seawalk Music Fest going on. And how about this event going on in Bellevue, Florida, the Family Fun Fest. That's all in the Sunshine State here on this second full weekend in the month of June. In the Peach State of Georgia this weekend, festivals and fun aplenty throughout Georgia this weekend. And load up the kids and head on to Douglasville. There you'll find the Lost Art Music Festival this weekend in June. In Atlanta, I don't know why it's called this, but it's called the Carolina Country Music Fest going on this weekend. Yeah, that's what it's called. How about Fort Valley? It's the 35th Georgia Peach Festival taking place this weekend. And lastly, in Americas, it's the Wolf Creek Plantation Spring Festival scheduled for June 12th. I guess spring, it is technically still spring, and there you can go to that portion of Georgia and enjoy a good time this weekend. In the bluegrass of Kentucky, Louisville's got the Peat Fest Summer 2021 going on this weekend. In Midway, it is the Francisco's Farm Art Fair this weekend. And in Pineville, some good music on display. It's the Laurel Cove Music Festival this weekend 
in Pineville, Kentucky. In the Pelican State of Louisiana this weekend, travel there and find fun, fun, fun at the Festival of Live Oaks in New Iberia. New Orleans this weekend has pastures and paddocks going on. Also, you have in Baton Rouge the Louisiana Jerk Festival at Bullfish Bar and Kitchen. Some of the fun taking place in Louisiana. Just across the Mississippi from Louisiana this weekend in the state of Mississippi, you've got several different events going on. The Pickle Fest is taking place at the Mississippi Agriculture Center in Jackson. The Mississippi Pickle Fest of 2021 going on this weekend. In Macomb at the Bo Diddley Pavilion in Macomb. This weekend it's the Iron Horse Music and Heritage Festival. Tupelo's got the Tupelo Elvis Festival going down this weekend in that special spot in northeast Mississippi. That's some of the fun in Mississippi. How about what's going on in Missouri this weekend? As you might want to show me a good time in the state of Missouri In Eureka, it's the St. Louis Water Lantern Festival taking place this weekend. In Fulton, Missouri, it's the annual Strawberry Festival in that portion of the state of Missouri this weekend. How about the Old North State of North Carolina this weekend? In North Carolina, you got in Asheville, weekend in western North Carolina. The North Carolina Hops Festival taking place at the State Fairgrounds in Raleigh this weekend. And in Wilmington, it's the Port City Music Festival all happening this weekend in North Carolina. How about just across the state line in South Carolina? This weekend's excitement in the Palmetto State includes the Main Street Caribbean Festival taking place in the state capital of Columbia. Just across the Congaree River in West Columbia, it's the Metropolitan First Annual Seafood Festival going on there. And lastly, in Myrtle Beach, it's the Myrtle Beach Water Lantern Festival this weekend in South Carolina. And the state of Tennessee this weekend, uh, plenty is found in terms of festivals across all three sections of the volunteer state. In Cleveland, you got the Flea Market Festival. How about in Manchester? It is Bonnaroo Music and Arts Festival. It's, it's scheduled. I don't know if that's actually accurate. Might want to check it out. But not all that far from Manchester is Woodbury. Woodbury's got the Mule Day and Crafts Festival going on this weekend. And lastly, in the area around Johnson City, it's the Downtown Yoga Festival in that portion of Tennessee this weekend. And that's some of the fun of Tennessee. And then we'll wrap it up here on the Y'all Show with what's going on in the state of Texas this weekend. Texas has in Pasadena. You might want to make your plans to go to Pasadena, right outside of Houston, home of Gillies. It's the Lonzo Fest. I have no idea what that word means, but I just told you I do know Pasadena is near Houston, and in Houston this weekend at First Outreach Church, it's the Texas Turkey Leg and Barbecue Festival. A full weekend of fun across the southeast here. And don't forget also in Texas this weekend, in Nacogdoches, it's the Texas Blueberry Festival. Get you plenty of blueberries in the home of the Lumberjacks, Nacogdoches, Texas. Well, that will end a full three-hour y'all show. John Rawl, thank you so much for coming on and joining me here on the show that covers everything southern have a good one and more y'all coming your way just stay tuned 803-816-1170 for our next episode